When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey parents, my name is Tim Wright. I'm here, as always, along with my good friend, Dr. Michael Gurian, New York Times bestselling author, by the way. And uh, that's going to matter today because we're going to be talking here about a new book that Michael's got coming out. And uh, we'll spend some time doing that. But we want to welcome you once again to the Wonder of Parenting podcast and are so honored to have you listening in. And and it's just always a delight for me to be able to go onto our Facebook page. If you're not joined us there, please do. Uh, And uh, to see the comments that are written. We do a lot of question asking on the Facebook page and and the parents chime in and have great answers. So uh, it's just an honor to get to know you uh, through that venue and your questions. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the Wonder of Parenting podcast, you can go to our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, and it's got links to our various resources, it's got links to our Facebook page, and it's got a link to our sponsor, and we're so grateful to them. They really make it possible for us to come to you uh, every week, and that's the Center of Place of Hope in the Seattle area, and they do such great work with all kinds of different emotional challenges in life. So if you ever just need a resource, a starting place for that in your life, for the life of your kids, a place of hope, uh, and uh, you can find more information on our website. So we're going to be talking about a topic today uh, that in some ways is going to be a hard topic to talk about. It's just difficult stuff whenever you talk about sexual trauma, but it's so important. And, uh, and, and I know for Michael, this, this is going to be really personal for you, and so we're going to talk about a book you've written. Uh, you're going to give us some insights into the, uh, some of the experiences that you've had in your life. You've got a new book coming out, so tell us the title and what the title signifies. Yeah. Yeah, the the new book is The Stone Boys, The Stone Boys and it's out you can get it, you know, Amazon or anywhere where you get books. Um it's I've written it as a young adult novel, uh but it's a crossover novel. Adults will read it and will enjoy it. It uh takes place in the 1970s, 1975. And it's two boys who who don't realize it when they meet, but both were sexually abused when they were around 10 and they meet at 16 and 17. And um, and they do disclose to each other, and and some things happen, and it's kind of a you know it's a sort of mystery thriller. It's a it's a very um, what should we say intense book, uh, and it builds to quite a climax. Um, so it's called the Stone Boys, and I actually began writing it when I was eighteen, because um, when I was ten, so one of the characters is my foil, Ben is my foil. Uh, when I was ten, I was uh, sexually abused by my psychiatrist. And uh, so at 18, which is when I disclosed to my parents that that had occurred, uh, that's when I started writing this novel. Well, you know, now I'm older. Um, How many years is that? I'm 61 when I'm publishing it. So I have to add up those years, but it's over 40. Uh, And it's it's been a long time of writing this book, rewriting it, writing it, uh, rewriting it, and finally deciding it should be a young adult book uh, to help um, sort of 13 and older, it would be uh, 
useful for kids 13 and older and then adults uh, to also to help them to look at what it takes to get boys to open up about tragedy tragedy and trauma and um, and then specifically the complexities of sexual trauma which is of course very much in the news these days so we can talk more but that's the basics and and why stone boys oh the title yeah thank you the title uh, so uh, people who read the book, you'll see there are there's very various nuances on on the word stone and stone boys. So a couple of those nuances, uh, obviously one is that that when when we're traumatized, any of us who are traumatized uh, as kids, we do have to develop some sort of st- stone or hardness, uh, hard shell, people might call it. Um, I'm using the metaphor of stone, the stone boys. So we do develop that, and um, and some of that actually is useful a certain amount of stoicism and pushing through obstacles you know is actually useful for the development of a mature self so um but but some of it obviously is not you know some of it we need to break through and people need to help us break through uh in order to get at that softness inside um so that's one of the nuances there actually are others but that's one of them and and i think it's really helpful we're going to go back to your story a little bit here in a moment for people to hear that this happened to you when you were 10. And so even though this is a really big people conversation, uh, this is uh, something we as parents need to be aware of as our children are growing up. And what we're going to want to do today is just uh, kind of talk about what are some of the signs, of course, of, of sexual trauma. How do we protect our boys from it? Uh, what insights do we want to instill to our boys? So there are a lot of things that we want to talk about here. But even though this seems like a really tough subject and a grown-up subject, this is one that will impact uh, our children uh, in certain ways if we don't protect them from it, and which is what we want to do. So um, you're, let's talk about the book for just a moment, and then we'll go back. Um, what are some of your hopes and dreams for this book when it comes to young adults reading it or even parents reading it? Well, my, I think my, my biggest dream is that it will be read by you know a lot, a lot of people. Because there isn't a book of its kind out there. I was surprised to learn this. Um, there are a lot of books about girls uh, and young women who have been sexually abused, raped, sexually traumatized, and who become empowered, you know, disclose and become empowered um, and grow. So uh, when I started really thinking about publishing it, um, I thought, well, there must be a lot of books about boys the same. But there aren't. Actually, there isn't a book like this out there. Um, there are there's one or two novels, uh, young adult novels, I should say, that that refer somewhat to someone having been sexually abused, uh, a male, but uh, not a full novel about about this sort of story arc of what grows from this trauma and how they have to battle good and evil, you know, from the sexual trauma. Um, and and there are adult books, no doubt. There are books like Sleepers. You know, these are these are adult novels that, of course, refer back. And mystery thrillers, you know, um, dark thrillers refer back to, uh, males who have been sexually abused. But no young adult novel like this. So, so I would I, I know it's I believe it's going to be read by by anyone who wants to read an intense story. Um, I also would like it to be read by um, schools. So. In English class, social studies class, it's a it's a real good novel. Uh, if if those teachers, for instance, have had their kids read um, novels about girls who have been abused, you know, like Speak, you know, these novels, then this would be the counterpoint. This would be about boys, and a lot of the high schools and even middle schools are having their their um, 
kids read those books. And so now there is a book um, uh, that's where it's the male point of view on sexual trauma and disclosing and trying to grow up through that. Uh, so I, I would like anyone to read it. I think it's actually a page turner. And you'll have to say, Tim, if you agree, because you've read it. Um, but then I also want young people to read it uh, sort of in the care of adults uh, and let it lead to the same sorts of discussions in classes and among parents and kids that it has led to, you know, that these books on girls have led to. Why is it that there aren't more books about this topic uh, dealing with boys and corollary to that? Um, what What is the, uh, the, the impact of abuse on boys, say, versus girls? We hear a lot about statistics with girls. What about boys? Yeah, well, why, why there aren't? Um, the first question, I think, um, I can't fully answer that. I'm not exactly sure, but my guess is that it is more difficult for our cultures to, to uh, read scenes, let's say, of, of boys sexually bullying other boys. Um, I, I think we're kind of getting used to scenes and discussions, like in Me Too, of girls and women who are raped or sexually assaulted. Um, it's, I mean, it's, you know, Law and Order SVU, or, I mean, you just see it everywhere, right, on shows. And um, and it's really good that our culture has opened that up so that, uh, and Me Too is an example of it, where people are talking a lot. But, but in Me Too, as with all of these others, what we're talking about is mainly girls and women who have been abused, girls and women who have been sexually assaulted or raped. And so we've gotten used to it there. But what we're squeamish, I think, about boys and um, uh, I'm sure all sorts of reasons. Some is is that there's homophobia out there. There's a fear of, of gayness out in our culture that I believe would be probably one of the reasons. I think the other is that it it's um, uh, it, it it's just seems weird, you know, and people sort of want it not to be. <laughs> they, they just sort of want it not to be happening. And um, and. And there is a certain amount of, uh, well, we've heard so much in newspaper reports about this going on with priests. Okay, we've heard about it, but we haven't really seen scenes of it. We haven't really mm. gotten it into our heads and seen, okay, what happens? And then what exactly happens to these boys? Um, so so I, th- I think that visually it's difficult for us. And in fact, in writings of the, the Stone Boys, um, it was a much more graphic novel. Um, by graphic, I mean there were more scenes that were that were graphic, uh, none gratuitous, but graphic that exactly showed what happens to these boys. And the editor, uh, John Gosh, who's my editor at Leta Books, he he helped to cut those scenes back so that the book could be read by a 12, 13-year-old or older um, because we wanted it to be a young adult, a young adult novel. Um, th- these scenes were no more difficult than if you read adult thrillers. I mean, if anyone reads Stephen King or Jeffrey Deaver or uh, Patricia Cornwell or any of those adult thriller people, they're writing scenes like this they're, the scenes they're writing are much more graphic than the scenes i have in the stone boys um uh but those are for adults this is for young adults and so we cut back on those scenes but even with cutting back on the scenes you know you do, do still have to show the bullying that occurs mm-hmm. and i am still showing the grooming and the way it did occur and um um and not as graphically so it is readable but it's not gratuitous, and it's there for a reason to tr- to get people talking about it. And I just think scenes like that have been hard for our culture. Um, With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, what was your second question? <laughs> it, it had to do with the, the boys experience this kind of trauma as much as girls do, or at least oh, at almost a as much. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not quite, I'm trying to ask in part, um, you know, what are some of the statistics that we need to know if okay. you know them off? Right. And secondly, then why is it that we don't think boys are traumatized like this? Well, um, uh, in terms of stats, I, I think we, it depends on who you look at and what studies. Uh, the one in six boys has become a kind of famous statistic, and I think it's a good one. Um, remember, it always depends on how we define sexual assault, sure. as it is with girls. Right. How do we define sexual assault? If we define, and I'm going to go at this a couple of directions. So, so I'm gonna, let me back up. One in six. There's a website called oneinsix.org. So if anyone out there is listening and they're thinking, you know, um, maybe I have a son who's been sexually abused or I want to learn more, oneinsix.org is a really good website and R-A-I-N-N um, dot org is another one. These both deal with sexual trauma of males. Hmm. Uh, so one in six is the stat. Um, and we generally hear in the media that the stat for girls is one in four. And so we would say, well, girls are more likely. I have a different take on it, even though I'm not going to disagree with the stats. I get why the stats are used. But my take my take on, on boys and sexual abuse, actually, or no, let me say this, on boys and sexual assault, my take is that probably 100% of boys at some point experience some sort of sexual assault. But it's not rape. It's not what I experienced. But if you've been in a locker room, and if any any male listening to this has been in a locker room and has spent, you know, a lot of their childhood in locker rooms, um, you know, they've had towels that have been snapped at their genitals, or they've had they've been given wedgies, or they've been, um, uh, uh, you know, threatened, or had someone grab at their testicles um, while their clothes were on. You know, there's a lot of ways that people don't realize in which males are in which male sexuality is um, is uh, assaulted or at least used for hierarchy building and all sorts of stuff that we don't really like, but it goes on. And most of it, us guys would never tell adults about because we just go, oh, yeah, you know, I got a wedgie or, yeah, <laughs> right. someone someone grabbed me or, yeah, someone did did actually nip my testicles with that towel and it really, really hurt. But, oh, well, you know, I put my clothes on and I left the locker room. Um, so... I do believe more boys are um, are involved in this kind of uh, behavior than than we would like to admit. But I also think there's a distinction between that, um, uh, which is kind of mild sexual bullying, let's say, between that and you know the the, the grooming and the sexual abuse that I experienced and that I think we would put as the one in six, and um, and so therefore. With females, if we are defining, um, I think with females, what happens is we define sexual assault as even uh, when you're when you've had drinks and you're kissed by someone and you don't want it. And I think that's part of what takes the female figure to one in four. Um, my guess would be that if we took that stuff out, and of course you know there's a lot of me too argument about what is and what isn't, so that's a different subject. But if we took that out, I, I have a feeling. Uh, 
that the statistics are actually actually pretty close. And and one final reason I think that's true is prison life and juvenile and uh, juvie life. Um, you know, yeah, we have around two million males who are incarcerated. Uh, and there's a lot of sexual assault that goes on there. And if we added those stats, I think that would raise the male. But anyway, statistically, we generally say one in four females and one in six males. Yeah, and and this is going to be real clumsy of me, but we do tend to see uh, our daughters, uh, women, as the victims of this. We we just tend not to even have in our brains that guys can be victims of sexual trauma. Um, because there's a sort of this sense of well, boys are strong; they can fight their way out. Not that girls aren't, right? But I understand. There, it's just there's that, and whether we believe that or not, it just sort of permeates our culture a little bit. It's just hard to believe, and yet you're a, a living example of a, a little boy. Let's remember, you were a little boy who was taken advantage of, um, and uh, it was by someone you trusted, which it often is someone in power, someone you trust. Um, and you don't have to go into a lot of details, but what were some of the things that that um, parents might be uh, enlightened by in your story of, of how you got to the point where this man was uh, sexually hurting you? Uh, it couldn't. It, did it start right away? Was it a process? It was a process. Yeah. And and um, so so what were some of the things that he did, so to speak, to groom you, if that's the word you would use, that parents just need to know about in this in in this kind of a, a tragedy? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a difficult thing to to um talk about uh, also because you know I'm a boy advocate, I'm an advocate, I'm a girl advocate as you know, you and I are advocates for both. I've written a number of books on boys. Uh I'm I'm very male positive, you know, in my work. I don't I don't go along with the sort of national zeitgeist that that men are bad and women are victims of bad men and you know we've talked about this before and so it's it's just, it's difficult because now what I'm about to do you know of course is talk about these bad men and and the thing is there are a, there are actually a lot of these bad men and so the guy the guy who the, the way my story worked was I was kind of a hellion as a kid <laughs> and I admit that um, our family had a number of issues we've talked about in other podcasts there was child abuse there was I, I score for people who do aces I score a seven a seven out of ten um, so that's adverse childhood experiences ACE capital ACE and then little s aces and if people are wondering what that is just google uh, ACE uh, and a little s on Google and adverse childhood experiences surveys will come up and I score a seven out of 10. So, uh, and sexual abuse was just one of the seven traumatic or adverse childhood experiences. So already a lot had been happening in our family. It was difficult. I was acting out. Um, the school suggested I, uh, to my parents that I see a psychiatrist in that era in the sixties. Um, it wasn't family therapy. It was the kid. There was something wrong with the kid. The kid went to psychotherapy. So my parents sent me to a psychiatrist. Uh, that psychiatrist put me on Ritalin, which actually did help me in, in school because I, I was hyperactive. Um, but at the same time, he started grooming me. So he, first he would play chess with me uh, because I was a chess player. And he respected my intellect. And that's one of the ways that, uh, you know, these, these predators, they are brilliant people actually they have very high IQs they see what is the weakness in or the strength in the kid and they start to maneuver around it and they start to work it um and uh so he we did it through chess or we would do like some play therapy and some talk but I was only 10 so it was mainly more sort of experiential and then at a certain point 
I explained to him, uh, my, my mom had suggested I tell him that I have stomach aches. And I, I had a lot of anxiety and stomach aches uh, as a kid. And that went all the way through, actually, through my emerging adulthood. Uh, so I told him I had these stomach aches. And he said, well, you know, I'm a doctor. I'll say, I can save your parents uh, some money on doctor bills. Uh, why don't you let me, you know, feel around there and figure out what it is? So, so you know, this is after a month, six weeks in, he's starting to say that. And, and so by about six weeks to two months in is, is when um, I, I started doing it. He started feeling around. Then he said, well, why don't, you, why don't you take your shirt off? So, okay, I take my shirt off. You know, he's a doctor. It seems okay. It's just like the boys who have been my clients who have been abused by priests. You know, just about anything that person says to do, you do because that person has, you're very young and that person has authority and, and has a justification for it. And so his justification was uh, a physiological um, uh, look at what I was what I was experiencing, an exam. So you can imagine the clothes at some point finally came all the way off because he was like, oh, I can't really feel it. Why don't you pull your pants down? And, and now they're all the way off. So now he's feeling around with everything. And, and then the confusion for boys, an area that makes this very difficult for boys, <coughs> excuse me, that, that as I've had female clients who've been, who have been sexually abused, we discuss this, how unless a certain part of her anatomy is, is, is touched, you know, she may not feel the pleasure um, from the touch that the boy feels because, of course, boys are going to get an erection, right? It's a different physiology. And this is, this is so confusing for, for boys uh, because they, they get an immediate sensation of pleasure. And, um, you know, so gradually, I, I actually don't remember if it was the first time or the second time, I would have gotten an erection. Well, once I start getting an erection, then he's going to show me what to do with that. Right. And what he said was, and by the way, this this I have captured this exactly in the novel, in the Stone Boys. I've I've created the dialogue from Ben, my foil that creates exactly. So if people read that novel, you will see exactly what happened uh, to me. Um, so that's how the process worked. And you can see the grooming once he once I start having sensation, then he's teaching me how to masturbate. I'm 10, which is actually pretty young for that. Um, and he's teaching me how, well, then once that starts, of course, that's very confusing because the boy knows that what's going on here is wrong, but he doesn't, but he can't really act on that, right? He's just, he's just a little boy. He doesn't, and, and on the other hand, he's getting such pleasure from it. And then on the other hand, the, the authority is saying, no, no, this is good. It's not wrong. These other people were wrong about it being wrong. This is all good. So then that, you know. So you can imagine it just keeps going on and on. I will leave a little bit for the reader to read uh, in the novel, and I won't tell everything, but I think that gives you a sense of how it works. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I, I'm horrified, and I'm a grandparent. I'm sure there are a lot of parents out there who are almost traumatized hearing your story. Uh, and, but it does happen. So was, was there a point for you as a little boy when you knew this is wrong, and how did it finally end? Yeah. So... So the amazing thing is I got better, quote unquote. <laughs> um, I got better. And by getting better, I mean I stopped acting out as much in school, in my family. Um, and remember the reason I was sent to the psychiatrist was because I was acting out and I was a, a hellion, let's say, in that era. So I started getting better. I started acting out less. I was doing my homework again, you know, et cetera. And one of the reasons was the Ritalin, I'm sure, of that, I was on Ritalin for six months, and uh, it was it was a very very powerful drug back then. It still is, so that was one of the reasons. But but gradually, another reason I started getting better was that I was I was realizing that that this was uncomfortable. There was something wrong with this. It couldn't be good, and uh, I had to get out. So um, and this also is captured in the novel. So I went to my mom and said. And my mom was really our primary caregiver. Um, my dad was around, um, but he was very, very, very busy. He was. It was a typical family where the dad was working almost all the time. Mom was doing kids, and so I said to her, um, "Listen, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. I'll. Um, I, I'm getting better. So if I stay better, I don't have to go back, and that'll save you money." And this was so I was negotiating with my mom to get away from this guy, and um, and that did work. And she she did, you know, say, okay, well, it would save us money, and you sure are getting better. And so uh, I stayed away. But I have to say, it took me a number of months to be able to do that. And the primary reason was, um, and readers will see more of this developed in the Stone Boys, the primary reason was that there's always a power and a threat um, that this predator holds over you. And the, the threat that my predator held over me was if I told anyone, um, he was going to deny it. Everyone would believe him, and he would make sure I went to the mental hospital. And both of my, uh, on both of my sides, my mom's side and my dad's side, we we have a lot of mental illness back there. We have paranoid schizophrenia on one side. My grand my grandmother shot her doctor and was in the mental institutions for about twenty years. Then on the other side, we have bipolar. That that grandmother. Uh, was married seven times, manic, depressive, married seven times, divorced seven times, um, uh, in and out of mental hospitals. So, so our family was brought up with this huge fear of mental hospitals, and he knew it. The guy was brilliant, high IQ. He picked that up right away, and so he kept threatening me with that. So it took me a number of months to get up the guts to negotiate with my mom, win that negotiation, to get out of seeing him because and and really for a month or two afterward i assumed he was going to figure out a way to send me to the mental hospital even though i wasn't seeing him anymore but gradually as the months passed he didn't do that your parents didn't know about this for about seven eight years 
Um, right, eight years. Yep. Eight years. What what finally brought you to the point where you realized this is something I have to talk about to my parents? And then I think everybody listening wants to know, did anything ever happen to that predator? Okay. So in my particular story, yes, and I modified this slightly for the book because the book is a novel, so it's moving in its own direction. Um, but in my particular story, uh, so I started therapy at 16, so that 10 years old was technically therapy. It was a psychiatrist, but I'm going to bracket it out. So I started, uh, you know, the real therapy, what I, what, what I needed uh, at 16. And, um, and again, because I was having troubles in school, I was having issues, I was fighting back with my parents. Um, my, a little earlier than that, uh, I finally hit my, my mom back because she was a hitter. She would punch and, and, you know, whip her kids. And I finally hit her back. So she stopped. But, you know, I was very confused. So um, I went into therapy with my parents' support. They, you know, deep down, they were actually, they are really good people. They, my mom's gone now, really good people, but just confused people. Uh, But they started seeing I needed therapy. So I went into therapy at 16. Part of what started coming up in the therapy was what had happened uh, when I was 10. And that, therapist was saying, you know, you you have to tell your parents because they don't know that part of what's going on with you is your response to that trauma, right? And part of why I was having trouble making friends at school and and part of why sex confused me, and I wasn't sexually active at 16, but it confused me, was what happened there. So, so but it took me two more years. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the arc of this novel, The Stone Boys, it condenses what because of these incredibly dramatic things that happen in the novel, um, one of the boys does disclose at 17, a year earlier than I did, uh, does disclose. Um, but it took me a little longer. Um, and so, but by 18, I finally got up the guts to tell him. And we got to realize, what, when parent, when, if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking, why doesn't the kid tell? You know, of all the reasons, so there are hundreds of reasons, but one of the reasons the kid doesn't tell his parents is because, uh, uh, yes, he's ashamed, no doubt, but also because he knows his parents will blame themselves, and he knows he's going to traumatize his parents. And um, people don't realize how noble, in a way, our, our, our young people are, both boys and girls who have been abused, how sort of noble they are in trying to protect the people who love them. And I had a very difficult relationship with my parents, but I was still trying to protect them because I knew. And sure enough, as soon as I told them, they, uh, you can imagine how traumatized they felt, right? They, they felt they didn't protect me. Uh, they made all the wrong decisions, you know, uh, et cetera. And so it took them a while. And actually they went into therapy. It took them a while to try to recover. Now, in terms of the denouement of that person, um, uh, I didn't even think to do this, but my wife, Gail, thought to do, to do it once we started looking at making the decision to publish the book. Um, uh, she went online, and I remembered the guy's name, and I remembered the hospital where I saw him. He was in an annex, his own little annex at a hospital. And um, she typed that in. <laughs> she was so smart. She typed it in, and boom, he popped up right away. And he popped up because he had been uh, in prison, that he had been caught uh, for, and he had been in prison for eight years, I think, for, um, uh, you know, sexual abuse. And then he had gotten out. And then um, another report showed that, uh, this is just a couple years ago, he had been caught again. 
and um, was threatened with going back into the system, and he committed suicide. Mm. So he's now dead. Wow. Okay. So uh, normally we'd like to keep our, our podcast to about 30 minutes. I think I have at least another 30 minutes worth of questions to ask oh. <laughs> uh, about this, because I, I think what we want to do is, is to turn um, toward uh, how, how do we recognize the signs of this in our children? How do we protect our kids from it? So I think what I'm going to suggest to you and to our listeners is that we save that for next week's podcast, because I don't want to shortchange it. Yeah, good idea. And um, I think this has been really, really good just for us to hear this story. Uh, and and I, I think all of us, Michael, who've heard it, are grateful to you uh, for for being so transparent and really vulnerable, um, and also really for being a model, I think, to a lot of us that even to go through that kind of deep trauma, healing is still possible, and uh, that with uh, you know some hard work and great people and a lot of grace and forgiveness— um, and you know, just bringing the right tools available, you really can get back to a fairly normal life. Uh, and uh, you're certainly an example of that, and someone who has really taken that tragedy and turned it around to help others. So, uh, I want to recommend that we come back to this next week, and we'll look more speci- uh, more specifically at just what are the signs of uh, trauma. Uh, how do we protect our boys and our girls from this kind of trauma? And um, give us the name of the book again. Okay, it's called The Stone Boys, and it's uh, by Michael Gurian. It's a novel, and you can get it on Amazon or, or anywhere books are sold. And we're going to link it to our website, wonderofparenting.com, and you can go there and, and uh, just hit the link, and it will take you to Amazon. And I uh, also want to remind you that um, if you want to pick up on this conversation or you've got other questions you want to wrestle with uh, on our Facebook page, you can do that. And there's a whole community of people there who uh, love to just say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Uh, maybe this is helpful for you. And that's what I love about our Facebook page is uh, we have so many people sharing good wisdom with each mm-hmm. other. And that can be linked as well through our, our wonderofparenting.com. So, Michael, thank you for uh, really uh, you know, challenging us to get into a topic that's really important because this can happen to any kid. You went in. Uh, for help. Your parents sent you there in good faith, and uh, this guy was a bad guy. And what we want to do next week is just talk about how to help our kids maybe be a bit more prepared for something like that, um, you know, and just some warning signs we need to look at in the lives of our kids. So we'll get back to all of that next week with episode number 60. Uh, Michael, anything that you want to add before we close out today? No, no. Thank you, and thanks for your, your kind words, and thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will get more practical next week. Yeah. Sure. Good. So it's obviously a big topic, and um, we're going to be back at it next week. And we appreciate you listening. Please tell your friends about it, wonderofparenting.com, for all the information that you need about resources, how to subscribe to this podcast. And we do appreciate so much your listening. We will connect with you again next episode. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.